Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Brian Fritton. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks a ton for having me, Kevin. So we've chatted just for a moment here before we hit the record button, and uh, we both were lamenting the fact that we we started out the day with rain. So you yeah. know, maybe the day is going to brighten up and head into a sunny weekend. But Brian, share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. I like your I like your hope in the gray fall of winter, <laughs> uh, or gray uh, gray fall of Chicago. Eternal optimist. Yep. Um, so I'm a, I'm a software engineer by trade. I've worked on both sides of that you know, job and consulting. So building websites for, for bigger brands. Uh, and then, uh, and then on the product side as well. So, you know, got to work on uh, some pretty cool uh, products throughout my, my career, worked for a larger search engine uh, who had lost the war to Google, but had a master pretty nice war chest and uh, was building marketing and advertising products at the time. So got to build some pretty cool high volume APIs and, and different tech tools that were really interesting. And, uh, and then the entrepreneurial bug bit me and I went out to Los Angeles where, you know, the 72 and sunny sounds really good right about now. <laughs> uh, I went out to Los Angeles uh, because we raised some funding for a real estate crowdfunding company that I helped my brother start called Patch of Land. So we were taking, you know, these, uh, these fix and flip types of houses uh, and raising money to help uh, borrowers purchase and rehab them, you know, a couple thousand dollars at a time and allowing normal folks to be able to actually participate in, in that investment. Mm-hmm. And I uh, uh, had a great time doing that, raised a few more rounds of funding, uh, had a successful exit from the business and, uh, and came back here. And uh, I always had a, um, a very uh, particular interest in security. You know, I was always the kid, uh, you know, where I was, I learned how to pick locks really early as a kid, right? Which uh, much to my parents' dismay was, uh, has continued on. Uh, and, uh, you know, my parents were always unable to go into the next room without typing a code on a cardboard code pad that I had, you know, drawn and crayon and stuff, you know, so it was always in my, my blood, but never held a specific security role. But um, after, uh, you know, coming back to Chicago and taking a role as the VP of engineering for a, a data science company here in Chicago, uh, and getting put in charge of cybersecurity in front of the 2018 midterm elections, um, uh, it, it became pretty important to me that you know I uh, I learn how to build a cybersecurity program to protect ourselves because right. at that time we were hosting about nine out of every ten uh, political campaigns strategy hubs in our software. Wow. Uh, wow. So I was kind of the guy in the hot seat responsible for defending them from attacks, and so that's where pretty- all those emails were. Yeah. <laughs> That's no closet no behind you where the server is. That's no right. comment. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, you know, where the idea for, for, for my current company came from and, uh, and man, I, I just really enjoy the protecting other founders, protecting business owners thing. That's really been my mission through a lot of what I've been trying to do, but uh, yeah, coder, coder gone CEO for the first time, I suppose I would say. So I'm going to ask you a really crazy question. I hear this term just banted around in so many different like like uh, environments and, and conversations. 
when I hear the term software engineer, that seems like a almost an umbrella term for so many things that could fall under that. But what's the distinction of a software engineer versus a app developer versus a web developer? I mean, what what are the differentiations of those terms? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think like lots of people have different shades of gray answers here. The the thing that makes someone an engineer to me, you know, and I've hired, I must have hired at least a hundred software engineers or developer types or, you know, relevant product folks throughout my, my career so far. And I think the difference between someone you'd call a programmer uh, or a coder and a software engineer to me is they think through the system as a whole. And it's everything from the, uh, the planning and alternative mm. uh, uh, considerations, uh, the buy or build uh, decisions and discussions, the architecture there at hand, and then all of the stuff uh, you need to do to support it. So thinking about the infrastructure, the security implications, um, and uh, programmers, I think, are the folks who get given a ticket and they go, okay, uh, we'll build it. It's, it's very specific language. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go put fingers on, on, on keyboard. Uh, and they're great. Right. But like, if you want to be an engineer, uh, it's just a, it's a much more holistic job. I would mm -hmm. say. That's a, that's a great way to, to kind of differentiate between those terms. And it's interesting. I, when you talk about security, I, I had another interview than a, in a related field earlier this week. And the, the thing that came to mind was this like cosmic whack-a-mole you know, of, of security, mm -hmm. because it's like, there's, there's new threats popping up constantly. It's like a, you know, this quantum exponential, you know, machine that's always at, you feel like it's always out ahead of you, you're trying to catch up to it. So how in the world do you even begin to get your mind or your systems around this, you know, this virtually global threat? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is global. And it's a, feels like a bit of a cat and mouse game, doesn't it? Um, so uh, what I like to say first is you have to understand what you're trying to protect. Uh, and the, the context of all of this, the thing that a lot of people have to remember is that security is never done. Security is a process, mm -hmm. right? right? Um, you got you to gotta do your books every month to stay in business and your taxes every quarter and every year, right? Same thing, and, and and how those laws and those regulations and those ways of doing things change as you grow, and the environment changes too. Same with security, and uh, and so the, the first place that I like to say people should start is think about what you actually have to protect. You know, are you a small uh, clinic, a doctor's office, a dentist office? Are you a software provider uh, who holds a bunch of credit card information? Mm -hmm. um, you know, are you, are you holding government secrets, right? Like whatever it might be, uh, you have to think about where that data is, what it is and, 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 and scenario out, um, your, what you, what, what, what professionals would call a threat model. Right. And it's really just a fancy way of saying what's your data, where is it and who would want it and how, how, how might they get it? And then to prioritize, um, the, the impacts that, uh, you know, uh, you would feel or your customers would feel, um, should that data be manipulated or, or exposed mm -hmm. uh, or used against those people. Um, and, uh, and then what's the likelihood of, of that happening, right? And, and that'll help you frame where your attention should be. Right. Uh, and there's great posts out there, happy to like send them later for the show notes too, um, that can say, you know, for, for most businesses, 
here's some foundational things you should do, mm -hmm. right? Enable multi-factor authentication on everything that has it. Um, you know, ransomware is huge right now. Make sure that you've got backups and you know how to recover from them. Uh, train your staff, right? Like yeah. training and, and the human element is huge right now. You have all these technical protections in place and know exactly where your data is and, and, uh, and, and, and who you want to protect it from and what technical vulnerabilities they might use. But, you know, if, uh, if Steve down the, down the row clicks on the wrong email, right. Link, then, you know, it's all for bust. Right. Yeah. I, I, um, it's, it's really interesting to see some of these videos on online where, you know, scammers are trying to, you know, get information out of people, but they called the wrong people and they end up the, the person they called ends up hacking into their, yeah, yeah. and shutting it down or locking it up. And I'm thinking, you know, that, that is, that is cosmic karma right there yep. mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that just happens, but, but, uh, background. yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, the, the name of the show is rising tide startups. And, and we talked just a minute before we, before we hit the, uh, record button that, that we would really like to kind of drill down just on the story, you know, of Havoc Shield and how it was born. And it seems like I either read somewhere or heard or on an interview that, you know, this was kind of created out of your own need. Mm -hmm. Is that, was that true? Talk about the kind of the, the genesis of Havoc Shield. Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, I've always sort of had this, um, this uh, attachment to security, uh, but never held a specific role in it, right? I was never a security engineer or a analyst or, or anything like that. Um, I was a, a small company CTO, um, uh, you know, owner of an independent website design company before that, VP of engineering what I like to call security stewards. And, uh, you know, these people, um, you know, like all of us in smaller organizations who own and have the keys to the castle in certain ways, uh, you know, are, are put in the hot seat of having to defend against uh, attacks. And like mm -hmm. the reality of it um, that really struck home for me um, in, in deciding to start Havoc Shield is if you look at any one of like the reputable studies out there, um, the 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 uh, amount to the volume of attacks against small businesses, so companies with you know less than 250 employees, uh, is 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 just as high as your larger counterparts. So 50% yeah. or plus of all attacks are are performed against folks like us, and that is only accelerating. It's only accelerating because attackers can use pretty freely available, easy to use tools to just kind of spray and pray and see what comes mm -hmm. back uh, as new vulnerabilities and then target you if, you know, they can see something vulnerable on your the technology you use or, or the, the, the people in, inside your company or whatever that might be. And they can, they can successfully breach 10 of you in the time where they might be able to take one larger folk, uh, person down. Right. And so um, I, I've always had like a, a desire to protect other people and uh and you know obviously been a serial entrepreneur for a while uh so um have a big place in my heart for founders and people who take the risk and make these investments and the reality is if you do get successfully attacked the impacts of that are huge right yeah. like re yeah. reputationally financially um you know and, and, and to the effect that there's a stat out there that says 60 percent of businesses who are successfully attacked meaning if you get breached uh don't come back from it right wow. you go that's incredible. So, so our mission is to protect other founders and I take that really seriously. Um, but, you know, that last job that I was mentioning with that data science company, you know, what a great, 
incentive to, to, to build a strong cybersecurity presence, you know, defend uh, our, our ability to, to vote and campaigns to, to participate mm -hmm. in the democratic process and all that sort of good stuff uh, from, from, from attacks. Um, so that was, that was a, a big reason, but also we were losing money. So I was the guy, you know, the technical executive in the room trying to convince our customers that we had done enough to, um, to, to win their business. And, and you see a lot of companies, not just large ones anymore, making their vendors go through a level of effort and security that um, they've not, not ever seen before mm -hmm. because they correctly see small businesses as uh, threat vectors, right? Like the, the, the target hack of a couple of years ago, the one that exposed a ton of credit card numbers, mm -hmm. that uh, happened because uh, they identified a small HVAC contractor who had network access to be able to kind of control things remotely in the stores. Uh, they hacked the they hacked the HVAC company and then they wow. were in Target's network and then they went from there, right? And so, you know, your customers, your 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 partners, um, especially if you sell to larger businesses, um, are 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 gonna if they're not already ask you for um, for new security efforts. Um, and uh, and so it's a revenue problem too. And when I went out to search for how do you how do you start to solve this? Who do we hire? I found a couple things. I found, you know, one. Uh, complex frameworks of you know how you prioritize these things, how you project manage them, that are really just built for larger companies and for right. folks like us. They they read like Latin, right? Um, and uh, and so that didn't give me anything I could start from. Uh, the second thing I found was like uh, hundreds of noisy point solutions that are like expensive and configured in fifty different ways, fifty different places, fifty different people, and they're all trying to represent themselves as the next thing you should buy and do, even though. Mm really in reality, it's not. Um, and then I wanna go, lastly, who, how, who can help me at this, right? I don't have the level of expertise. Um, can I get a, a security hire in the doors? Well, the 3.5 million person cybersecurity job gap go, uh, globally. And if you want one and you can find one, you probably can't afford them. Um, and- Three, You uh, said 3.5 million? Yep, globally. So there's this huge talent gap for security oh. professionals and, uh, um, you know, uh, bigger companies are, are paying these folks 250 grand plus to start and, uh, you know, great career to go into, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but a small business trying to get a hold of one of those or get a hold of a contractor to help even temporarily, those folks are booked out months in advance yeah. and yeah. these people need help now. So we built a SaaS product that kind of is like what TurboTax did for, for complicated tax prep. We take the ocean of complexity that is cybersecurity planning, your vendors, configuration, compliance, and policies. And we bake it into a step-by-step -step action plan that your director of operations, your IT provider, uh, you and I can follow to, to produce a professional program. That, that is incredible. Um, I, I am newly appointed the agent of a friend of mine who's in, in the kind of cybersecurity space. And we've agreed he'll start for 200,000. So yeah, he'll start cheap. So. But I, I need a broker's fee to make that connection happen for you. Yep, but there uh, you go. yeah, I man, that is such a such an incredible space. And and you know, with that labor gap and I mean just the cost, I mean, you're you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, it's like catch 22 with needing to hire people to, you know, that have some semblance of experience or ability or education or whatever in that space, and then not being able to afford them. So yeah, if we we have that gap and the need is not getting less, it's getting more. You know, it's, in, yep. it's actually increasing. So walk through this, this kind of the, so Havoc Shield was started when, what year? 
2019, middle of 2019, I sort of saw the, the writing on the wall after talking to, you know, CTOs, VPs of engineer, other folks in my network and, uh, and decided to, uh, you know, uh, do the entrepreneurial thing and quit the job and jump in and start get going on it. You have, you've made amazing progress in less than two years. I mean, it, so you've gone through kind of a, a tech incubator to get to the point that you are, which one did you, were you in? Yeah, I went through, uh, through Techstars. Great, great experience. Yeah. And that, that really kind of kickstarted the, your, your progress and your heading to scale. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, you know, so I, at that point I wasn't a first time, uh, founder, uh, but it was still immensely helpful. Uh, so I, yeah, we got accepted into that. We started the, the three month, um, uh, you know, period with tech stars at the beginning of 2020. Um, and, uh, I had wanted to launch a, a version of the product. So as we went into that, so we could focus on go to market, right? Like how we're going to find our customers, who, who those folks are and, you know, how to, how to reach them. And uh, we were able to do that and, and experiment uh, with that. And the accelerator was super helpful in a couple of ways. Um, one uh, was they they do this thing called Mentor Madness, and it's this uh, week and it expands through the, the rest of the program and after. But it's this week of just meeting these really high powered, impressive people who are all there to help you. Mm. All right, um, people who have built tons of companies, had multi million dollar exits but all over the sphere too. It's not just like, you know, venture-backed tech companies that right. have had success in, in large organizations and service organizations, uh, whatever that might be. Um, they do a good job of curating those mentors for you too. And so mm. while in Techstars and afterwards, I left with just this immense, uh, you know, cadre of, of, of mentors who don't want anything from you other than to help. Um, and then the other thing is like, they you know, they, they produce, um, a playlist, a playbook of, of how to go about evaluating and, and building your business at the very, very early stage. Uh, and it works, right? You know, they teach you how to do financial modeling and um, how to position your company and what positioning is and how that affects messaging and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then you leave with, uh, with, uh, with demo day. And our demo day is kind of interesting because, um, you know, this was uh, during the uh, the, the, the whole first shutdown with COVID. Yeah. Um, and so we all went home um, and they, they did a, a virtual demo day. Uh, and that actually ended up being all right for us because, you know, there was a, a wider distribution of interest in security, but um, pretty stressful knowing that you're talking to the whole world rather than just Chicago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great. So what are some of the things that, that if you look back now between say 2019 and now that if you, if you knew those things in 2019, it would have made kind of this initial first couple of years much easier, or you would have scaled more quickly or had less bumps in the road. What, what were one or two things that really kind of stand out? Yeah. Um, one is, and we did a good bit of this, but I, I'll always say like, you can never do enough, which is, um, as you as you as you find problems that you believe are worth solving with a business, um, you got to get out of the building and talk to customers. Mm. And uh, it's um, it can be conversations. Um, uh, it doesn't have to be this scientific method. Um, and of course, you can you can get a lot of help with having great conversations. And there's great resources out there. But like you just got to get out of the building 
buy people a coffee or a drink and, and ask them what problems do you have in the space and try not to lead them into the solution you're thinking of. Like a lot of right. us entrepreneurs want to fix and they want to create and talk about the solution, but you're going to waste a lot of time if you don't have a must-solve problem in mind. Mm-hmm. And those conversations, um, I wish I would have done double as, as many as I did. Uh, that's one. And then the second thing is, you know, coming especially from a technical track and being a, being a bit of an introvert and, you know, being more of the, um, the, uh, the, you know, logic math and coding type, um, you know, my strongest, uh, skills are not in marketing, go to market sales, that kind of thing. And while I've grown there, you know, I've seen, uh, the desire of a lot of people who, you know, are, are similar to me and just saying like, you know, build it and they will come basically. And, yep you know, go to market, the way that you get your customers, the way that you uh, find them you, down to pricing, um, all that stuff is just as important as the product that you're selling at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Yeah. You know, 50% of any business is, is, is go to market, right? You got to get them in the door and you got to get the right people in the door. Otherwise right. you're wasting time. Have the best product in the world. And if nobody's there to use it, buy it or, or give feedback on it. It, it really yep. just kind of sits on the shelf and, and vice versa. You can have, you know, sometimes an average product, but great, you know, relationships mm-hmm. and great, great sales team that kind of makes up for that. But so how has your, how's the product itself iterated since you, you first kind of, you know, mapped that out and wireframed it on the whiteboard and say, okay, this is what we're going to build. And then, you know, the product today, how different is that? Yeah, uh, we've been through a ton of iterations, uh, especially with with COVID. You know, when we all went home, we were we were targeting sort of more Main Street businesses at the mm-hmm. time before that, and uh, um, those people still need a lot of help. But obviously, their their cash dried up fast, mm-hmm. right? So we kind of pivoted um, and, and and looked at you know more uh, venture backed startups and uh, professional service organizations like. Right. Uh, you know, financial advisors, mm-hmm. mortgage brokers, things like folks like that. Um, and so, uh, you know, the catalog of modules for one that we had changed and we introduced new things that, you know, uh, folks in uh, regulated industries need, right? So um, we had to tailor our catalog to make sure that they met those regulations and mm-hmm. Uh, and so like that I'll call, you know, content within our product, right. Yeah. Even though it's a, a lot more than just writing on the, the board, but, um, but there's that. And then, uh, that continues to change as we get pulled in more sophisticated demands of our clients. Right. So we have to continue to lay a runway in front of our clients, which mm-hmm. is super fun. That's a great job that we get to do, um, uh, help, you know, help companies continue to grow their program as their needs change and grow. The other thing is, um, we have. Uh, been I think happily surprised at the level of trust our customers have in us um, and they want our opinion and so you know we started a, a while ago with uh, you know a lot of uh, choose your own journey and more configuration uh, on certain things uh, and uh, you know uh, what we've what we've moved to is we try to do a really nice and clean job asking you the right questions to give you the the curated set of tools and protections and policies and things that'll bring 
you know, lowered risk and, and higher, you know, value to your company through your program, but we opinionate it. Uh, and, and, and so we use our expertise, we use our, um, you know, back, backing and, and security expertise of our advisory board to bake mm-hmm. in all of that, you know, stepping on landmines right. and having to deal with attacks and all that stuff. We bake that into the product. And, uh, and so our product has probably become more opinionated, kind of like how TurboTax kind of keeps you on the, the happy path, unless mm-hmm. you have a, a big thing that you got to steer around. Right. Uh, you know, we, 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 we're happy to try to make it as simple as possible while still producing and baking and all that expertise. I mean, TurboTax is such a great, I think a great kind of metaphor example of, of what you're trying to do kind of in the security space, because, you know, you're talking about, you know, how you've pivoted since maybe you, the first idea that, that you had, but in some ways you have to iterate constantly because, you know, regulations change and new, new rules are coming out every day that, that you have to adjust to and market conditions and things like that. So it's never going to be static. If it is, it's probably going to be obsolete and stale very quickly, mm-hmm. but that's different than, man, we just missed it. <laughs> you know, we, we thought this was our, our market, but actually this was our market. And have you, have you noticed your market um, being a lot more, a lot better defined than yeah. it was when you first started in 2019? Oh man, absolutely. So um, one of the mistakes we, we made in the early days was um, what I'll coin like, not coin because it's a, it's a term out there, but uh, what I call uh, you know, trying to drink the ocean. Um, <laughs> you know, so we said, hey, we're a, we're a cybersecurity uh, program for SMBs. Okay, what is an SMB? Right? Are we talking startups? Uh, we talking a, a yoga studio? Uh, you know, um, and it, what we, you know, really quickly learned as we tried to go and attract these people, you know, with messaging on our website and you know outreach from our sales folks and ads and all that sort of good stuff, is if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. And uh, so where we're at now is we actually. Um, narrow our audience to financial services. And so if you go on our website, it's all about cybersecurity for financial services companies. And we still get a good amount of businesses from real estate companies and mm-hmm. you know uh, tech startups and all over the place, really interesting, fascinating companies. But right now we're focused on being perfect for financial services companies. And so all of our ads and our, our messaging and everything talk about the regulations they're subject to. Yeah. Uh, and our, even in our product, you know, we adjusted our our onboarding to talk about, you know, in your financial services institution, you know, what do you do? What kind of data do you have there? And, you know, so it's a bit more curated there. And the reason is um, we can talk much more specifically and acutely to those types of folks and their types of problems. And we can articulate, you know, the, what's in the product, um, you know, towards that end. And then once we get good at that, and this is the process that we're in right now, once we get good at that, we build that playbook of how to talk their language and mm-hmm. what it takes to do this. Then we can we can knock that bowling pin down and we can move to the next bowling pin, which is yep. manufacturing or yep. the legal industry. And we're going to do the same thing and one fit the time and one fit the cost. And man, I wish that we didn't spend you know, a, a, a bit of time trying to do, do all of that. Mm. And, uh, and we went after here because we'd be, you know, that much more time ahead on on figuring this one out. I got the perfect example. So my first job out of university, I worked for an insurance company in kind of the policy formation department. It was kind of a pseudo legal, you know, area, but 
we worked in all 50 states. So there were constant changes in, in virtually every state. And so if, if we could have just focused on Texas or focused on Florida or something like that, it would have made our lives so much easier. And to be able to keep up with this constantly changing, you know, landscape out there, but because we were so wide, it was, it was, it was whack-a-mole. I mean, it was like, you know, it, it's like, which one is the most <laughs> likely to blow up? So let's focus on that one, you know, the highest risk area. And if you niche down in an area, it's much more easy to stay current and, and accurate and really own that market versus just kind of serving a, a portion of that. And I mean, I really, I, I'm not surprised that that has happened because yeah. I think so many successful companies, especially startups, I mean, they, they do start out wide and we'll take anybody that has a checkbook you know, yep. and then start yeah. narrowing down. And just as proof towards what you're saying there, you know, um, don't have this, the concrete numbers in front of me, but the two, the two phases, you know, when we were broader versus just focusing on financial services, our cost to acquire a customer went way down. Mm -hmm. Our conversion rate went way up. The yep. conversations that we were having in demos were tight mm -hmm. now and yep. uh and so we're we're closing more business instead of wasting time on customers that weren't right for us so it, it's, a, it's a total stage change i mean even even like marketing and what conferences you want to attend and you know events and things like that and how you want to you know how you want to target specific niches and, and potential clients i mean if you're focused on one industry it's it's much easier to kind of make those determinations and and you don't i I love the phrase you use, don't drink the ocean. I, that I'd never heard before. So yeah, I've written that down. So it, do I have to give you credit if I ever use that no. again? Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's someone else's. I can't take credit for that. Okay. I don't know if you said that, but I'm not. What are, what are some other lessons that, that you think just kind of generically that, you know, as people are, are starting businesses and, you know, they're, they're hiring, they're growing, they're, you know, taking on, you know, new markets, they're kind of just walking through that kind of landmine of, you know, the first three to five years of trying to get, get started, what are some just general principles you think are good to, to um, you know, that would really help our audience? Yeah, I think especially nowadays, um, one thing that's really helped us move with speed and quality um, while being, you know, a, a fully remote company, which I think, you know, a lot of companies, if they, um, you know, uh, weren't already, they're, they're, transitioning into these mm -hmm. remote companies yeah. um, and even if you aren't it, it helps hugely is is right uh, you know do more writing instead of getting people in a meeting um, it'll concrete your thoughts right mm -hmm. so if you got this you know brainstorming topic or a couple of decisions to make um, sit down and write it out because it's going to help you navigate the context the why what your options are who should be involved so much more cleanly as you attempt to communicate it in writing. Uh, you don't have to be a good writer. It's just the process of doing it. And then, uh, and then what that enables too is you can send that to other folks and they can on their, on their schedule respond to you. And it creates this beautiful sort of asynchronicity where um, people can get their work done. They don't have to context switch because they have another meeting in yeah. 10 yeah. minutes. Um, and then they can, they can give you the attention that you need. Um, and it's all there in writing. So everyone's concreting their thoughts. You get to decisions and you get mm. to new ideas a lot faster, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a, a great point. That's, I mean, 
Are, but you're sure it's not just because you're an introvert. You just you just don't want to meet with people you'd rather we still have some meetings. <laughs> That's right. I yeah. Any anything? I mean, you're you're completely your your company is completely remote. Yep. And has been since it started, or is this a, a result of COVID? It has been since it started. Mm -hmm. Take a so, lot of notes from um, uh, if you know the company is Zapier. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. So they've been a remote company since automatic. Since they started automatic yeah and uh they, they all have similar guidance around writing and the asynchronous nature of mm, work things yeah. like that and how, how beneficial it's been for them yeah for sure and and I, I we have to be because it's not you know it's no longer a u.s village it's a global village and you know we mm. have people all over the world that, that can serve these roles and if there's this huge labor gap i mean you're going to have to look outside the borders of, of the you know the 48 states here to find Yep. find you know talent that, that uh, can do the do the job and do it well but there's so many things that we could just chase here but is there anything as we're wrapping up is there anything we haven't really touched on that you would like to kind of wrap us up with and then just tell people where the best place to find you online is and and yeah. maybe in that as well maybe kind of identify who maybe the ideal client is for havoc shield sure um so I'm going to give uh, some free value here in my wrap up. The, the one thing I want to talk about is uh, the, the level of impact you can have in protecting your reputation, your, your investment, your financial investment, your customer's information, your employee's information with just a few small things. Mm. And you can't stop here. But right. if you've not done these things, go and do them today. Like pause the episode and go and do them. Then come back and listen, right? Uh, the first thing is, MFA, multi-factor authentication. If you haven't enabled it on your email, on your bank uh, login, on anything that offers it, which there's a lot more online that does nowadays, you got to go do it. It's worth the small inconvenience because if your account gets taken over from a badly clicked on email or you reused a password that you shouldn't have or anything like that, it just makes it that much harder because an attacker has to know that code too, and they probably won't. Um, second thing is, uh, uh, like, um, think about the the ability to be uh, socially engineered at your at your business. There are lots of what I would call scam attacks, just as often as as uh, technical types of things. And so you can think of like you've probably heard in in the news about you know companies wiring money to an attacker because uh, you know they they mask themselves as an email. Uh, at your supplier, right? And uh, they did a little bit of work to determine who the right person inside your company is uh, to, to, to pay the invoice. And, you know, they, they sent a, a, a real invoice and a, a, a fake account number because they knew what you were buying for something off of Twitter, wow. right? Like, think about the types of things that you're, uh, you're saying online and the types of information that you're disclosing about the people inside your company. Uh, and then make sure that you have processes in place to verify, especially financial transactions, right? You know, are you out of band calling the person who should be approving or asked for that wire to be sent or the check to be cut or those types of things? How are you when someone calls in saying they're a customer and they need to reset their password? How are you verifying that's actually that mm -hmm. person, yeah. right? Having some of those common sense processes in place is super important. Um, and then backups, right? Like, Things will go wrong, and uh, whether it's accidental or it's it's from an attack, um, you've got to be able to know that you've got uh, fresh enough, uh, you know, assets and data and all that stuff 
that you can recover. And, uh, and it doesn't just stop at making sure those backups are there. You got to practice the recovery and do it, do it once every few months. Uh, but know if something happens, you get hit with ransomware, something like that happens, who's going who's gonna to recover it, how that works, where it is, yeah. all that stuff that's working. Those are, those are such great steps. And, and I, I think, you know, it would be true regardless of size. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of size of the organization. So define your ideal client and then just tell us where the best place to find you online. Sure. Yeah. So um, we are best at helping uh, the, the C-suite. So your, your owners, your, your CEOs, uh, the, the small company CTOs, folks like that uh, inside organizations with less than 100 employees usually so we want you to get started early and there's lots of very good reasons too um and uh you're working usually in a highly sensitive targeted or regulated industry like finance healthcare education manufacturing Mm -hmm. um those types of places have significant uh and increasing in enforcement regulations right uh, for good reason and and you're going to get an exposure yeah yeah, an exposure um and uh uh, you know, you don't have a security team, which none of us probably do, right? So w- we can help you train for this practice inside your company uh, and upskill your whole team so that you can continue to mature the, the protections in place as a, as a team and not have to pay for those huge expensive contractors until much, much later. Right. Uh, and uh, again, I'm really serious about the protecting other founders thing. So you can find us at HavocShield.com. There's a, there's a trial there. It's an affordable platform, but customer or not, um, we want to help answer questions and, and help people through sticky security situations. Um, so just email me. It's Brian, B-R-I-A-N at HavocShield.com. HavocShield.com. Well, Brian, we will make sure that that's in the, the show notes, the, the website. And um, if, if you don't mind, I mean, email me the the link to the article that you think is, I mean, it's kind of what you outlined here. It looks, it sounds like at, at the end, but if there's you know, specific steps that we can add to the show notes, that article, yeah. we would love to. And Absolutely. Um, man, we just thanks. Thanks again for taking time on this Friday afternoon to uh, just kind of share the story of Havoc Shield and, and really just helping our, our listeners kind of think about, think through some things that are just so pertinent and germane to, to what they're dealing with every day and the exposure that their companies have and really just playing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Brian, thanks again. Have a great weekend. Thanks for the time, Kevin. You too. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.